Welcome, Red Sox fans. Here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by Minute Media Podcasts. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you have not already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the New York Yankees. One of them, however, the fourth game postponed due to COVID protocols. Red Sox did drop two out of the three to the Yankees and are clinging just barely to a division-leading half-a-game lead over the Tampa Bay Rays. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can also find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston co-hosting with me tonight from the city of Westwood Massachusetts Jason Kelly I'd ask you how you are but I I already know this whole weekend sucked Uh, seriously uh, the weather sucked the baseball sucked Yankees fans suck New York sucks Yankee Stadium sucks all of it sucked Friday night was the only fun night and even that was just kind of like, okay, we expected to win, fine, whatever. Like, everything else from that sucked. It was just, oh, it was brutal. This weekend blew. Brutal series. How can they find you on Twitter, Jason? What's your handle? Yeah, if you want to yell at me on Twitter for complaining about the Yankees and how they're a hack organization, uh, you can find me at Color of the Iris. Uh, and if that's that's Color spelled O-U-R. Uh, color of the iris and if you if you're a yankee fan and you're butt hurt because i call there and judge a lying sack of crap um then you can do that uh go find me there absolutely and also joining us tonight from the city of providence rhode island charlie smith um similar to jason just kind of you know like i sounds terrible I don't, I'm not upset that we lost this series. I'm more upset about some of the situations that happened during the course of the the last two games that just to me are inexcusable. And that's kind of what I find to be more frustrating than anything. Like as a sports fan, inexcusable. Smith underscore MLB is where you can find me. You guys can join some dumbass who already decided to, you know, decided to send me messages and he can't even spell. So great work (laughs) on that dumbass. Always gets interesting on social media when we play the Yankees, but getting right into it, as Jason said, take the first game. We don't seem to be having any problems whatsoever in the first games of any series. It's what happens after the first game. Things start to go downhill. And uh, on Friday night, that was the win four to nothing. 
good pitching performance uh, Saturday. We lose that game. One of the more chaotic games of the year for a multitude of reasons. Uh, playing in a monsoon, they wasted an hour of dry weather because my, my theory on that is the Yankees were hoping the rain would get there a little sooner than it did and then be like, oh, we're going to postpone it till August when we have Aaron Judge back. And then the rain didn't show up and they started, probably got, what, two or three innings in before it got really gnarly. Uh, we end up losing that game, and uh, and then tonight, Sunday night, the blowout in front of the entire country on ESPN. Not a good series. Not a good series at all. And I probably wasn't as annoyed with uh, with it on Saturday as much as you guys were. It was just it was just a mess, and I was like, okay, we're we're gonna lose a game to the Yankees eventually. And it was pouring out. It was a close game until Salamora came in. Couldn't grip the baseball. And I think if we've learned anything from Salamora, he has to have that splitter. If he doesn't have the splitter, he's he's going to get lit up. He's prone to that home run. And that's what happened. So I was like, all right, fine. And then today, we arguably had the best lineup we possibly could have had. And... We're going to get into some Jaron Duran talk, but I'm at, still at the point where I want him in the lineup over Dahlbeck, and he was. And that was a very robust-looking lineup and completely flat against a pitcher we should have tuned up. So I'm pretty annoyed. The Red Sox aren't putting up runs against bad pitchers, and now that's our third straight series loss, and we have a losing record in the month of July, six wins, seven losses. That's not good enough. And I, I went into the series after the series was over. I kind of looked at, it, I was like, so we've criticized, you know, Bogarts and, and all these guys for getting too many days off. I'm like, maybe they needed an extra day off, even though they kind of got one on Thursday, like uh, unintentionally, but it's like, maybe that's what they needed. They just looked out of it. They, they look completely asleep. Uh, and I get it. The Yankees are not their biggest threat in the division. I think we can all agree on that. As much as this series sucked, the Yankees aren't the biggest threat. It's Toronto and it's Tampa. So I get that. But you're in Yankee Stadium. You're coming off the All-Star break. And you just look flat. You look asleep. You look like you just kind of don't want to be there. Uh, and I'm talking about the offense. I, I thought the pitching, you know, was mostly okay up until today. So... It just, it, this isn't good enough. Like, you shouldn't be losing to this Yankees team, especially without Judge. He's their only good player. He's their only good player, and he was out of the lineup. I looked at that, and I was like, oh, this is this should be a breeze. You got Judge out of there because of COVID shenanigans? You should be all set. Nope. Still, you know, still lost two out of three, even though it was should have been four. Like, that's pathetic. That's not good enough. That's an awful way to come out of the All-Star break. And Awful. They, they also didn't have Gio Urshela, who does well against us. So that's who. Another yep. another reason. But go ahead, Charlie. Uh, I was just going to hit up that uh, Judge. While he wasn't there, he wasn't the only name that was missing from the lineup. And I thought, oh my god, just because of I don't know if I want to call it negligence or just carelessness, but there's no way we lose more than one. I didn't think it'd be possible because they have what eight people playing. 
Um, and the list just kept on growing and growing after the All-Star break. And honestly, I just found it interesting that Aaron Judge got tagged, but Garrett Cole did not. And Garrett Cole was there too. I found it interesting after hearing what uh, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, and a couple other players, when they had seen Garrett Cole, and they're like, hey, Garrett, how you doing? And he just walked right by them and didn't talk to anybody. And I'm starting to wonder if he's just like a lone lone soldier. Like, he's not even talking to teammates. Because how weird is that, that half of your teammates got sick, and you went to the All-Star game too, and you didn't get sick. So I find that to be interesting in itself. But... While this was annoying, we we definitely should have won two out of three, three out of four, whatever the situation was. Nothing remotely comes close to why I'm pissed off about this series, like at all, at all. Well, let's get into studs and duds. Could be a little dud heavy given the series loss, but we will still start with the studs. Jason, who do you have? Yeah, I'm going with Nathan Avaldi, who I think got screwed on Saturday night because um, he pitched a really good game. He was going; to, it was kind of our best against their best. He went right up against Cole. It was pretty much an even game all the way through. Um, they were dueling each other back and forth. I know Cole had more strikeouts; he had the 11 Ks. Evaldi only had seven, but Evaldi did his job. He went into Yankee Stadium, which is still a hard stadium to pitch in. I don't care how bad the Yankees are. It's still a tough stadium to pitch in, and he shut that lineup down. And Grant, yeah, like we said, Urshela wasn't there. Judge wasn't there. It was kind of a watered-down Yankees lineup, but I'm sorry. That's still a daunting task to go into that stadium and pitch really well, and Evaldi did that. That's you know We've been calling, calling him our de facto ace this year. That was a ace kind of performance. He pitched really well, and unfortunately, we had, you know, we had the, the pouring rain all the way through, and then Sawamura comes in and gives up the back-to-back homers, and that's it. And and then all of a sudden, the Yankees decide, oh, you know what? It's actually Even though it's been pouring rain for like three hours, it's now too heavy, and we're going to call a game here. So um, I think he kind of got screwed, but he pitched really well. I, I was really impressed with him. Um, I think Evaldi's a badass. I think he's a tough guy. He, he may not always have the best stuff, which makes it hard for us to call him like an ace, you know, to, to use that term, but he's got the balls of an ace. Like he has no problem going into enemy stadiums, enemy territory and pitching a really good game. And he doesn't care who's on the other side of the mound. He's going up against Garrett Cole who say what you want about him, but he's still one of the better pitchers in the American league. And Nathan Navaldi went in there and just pitched a great game, kept us in it. Um, honestly, probably a game we should have won, but Again, things didn't go our way. Game got shortened on us. It sucked, but he was awesome that night. I was really impressed. I actually, um, so I slightly disagree. I think it's it's safe to call him an ace in the rotation when you're facing the best team or supposed to be the best team in your division, the team that creates one of the biggest rivalries in all of baseball. Uh in three appearances this year against the Yankees, had to do the quick math in my head here, 18 and two thirds, and he's had 20 strikeouts while allowing just three earned runs, and he's 2-0. and And like you said, I think he got robbed too. I mean, he did really nothing wrong. A run on two, it's five innings, seven strikeouts, and a walk. He's given up two home runs in those three games. 
So of those four runs allowed, three earned, two homers. He's doing his job. He's being Mr. Consistent. He hasn't gotten injured. He's literally done everything I didn't think he would do. So I've been I've been wrong about Evaldi, and I've been openly happy about being wrong about it. You're doing your job and then some. You're cleaning up for some of your teammates that can't get it done. What is the only thing that he's not doing? Consistently getting quality starts. But you're still minimizing the total damage that is helping your team at least keep the game competitive. And I think that's something that's being grossly under-talked about as far as men in this rotation. Because you've got some guys in here that need five or six runs to even look relevant. And he's doing it with little to no run support. I'm not going to be damned enough to say it's like Jacob DeGrom effort as far as the offense goes. But, I mean, you look at the games he's won. Four to two, three to one, and then he lost three to one. So he's he's doing his job, and I don't think you can say anything negative about him right now. Um, killer, stellar June. Killer, stellar July. He had one oops in the month of May, and he still went 2-0. So it's hard to come up with anything bad to say about him. He's given up, let's see, three runs or less in eight out of his last ten, if I just looked at that right. And there's been a couple of starts this year where he's had just one bad inning where he gave up three, four runs. It's so tragic that that took place because he'd be a bona fide top three Cy Young guy had he got out of those a lot more cleanly. But that being said, he is the ace of the Red Sox. He is having the best year of his career. And I love the fact, Jason, you said he's a tough guy because he would fit in so good with that 2004 rotation. Pedro game one, Schilling game two. Put Nathan Avaldi in there game three. And no offense to Derek Lowe, who had a great postseason that year, but he he is of that mold, and he's only 30. He's a millennial, and, and you know, he's pitching in, quite frankly, a softer era. And just, just so we're fully transparent here, I'm technically a millennial. If my parents got hornier three years earlier, I wouldn't officially be a millennial. <laughs> so it's too bad that didn't happen. But, um, but yeah, so he's a tough guy. And, and when you look at guys like Bogarts and, and Kike who get tired, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have made it with that 2004 team. You know, it just personality wise, they're just not as gritty as guys like, you know, Millar and, um, you know, even, I don't know, Manny Schilling, all those tough guys. So. So, yeah, I liked what I saw from Evaldi, and I thought going into that start, I'm like, he's been so dominant against the Yankees. He's just due for a bad one. And none of us could complain if he if he went out there and, and was mediocre. But he wasn't. He shut him down again because he, he owns that team. If Yankee Stadium is going to rename their stadium, it, it should be Nathan Evaldi Stadium. Because, <laughs> yeah, hard to imagine he used to pitch for them, too. Uh, for a few seasons, but definitely a stud this series. Charlie, who's your stud? So my stud for this one is uh, actually Tanner Houck, and I'm super pumped to see him back up here. I know he had a, a real short performance, and by short, I mean one appearance, 
but three innings, you struck out three, you had a walk, you had a hit, no damage allowed. You came in, you cleaned up. You still had 65% of your pitches go for strikes. What I really liked was that three innings, almost 50 pitches. You were kind of humming around that, uh, flirting with that 100-pitch six-inning mark, which is about the standard with what we see with Nate Evaldi. And it's consistent like Evaldi. Like, you're getting six innings of quality work from him. People got to remember, like, when he first came to the bigs, he was doing very well. His ERA was stellar. He was giving you five-plus innings. He didn't lose in his first year in baseball. Um, I'm super pumped to see what he can do. This is the type of guy that we were talking about at the beginning of the year before the season even started. This is the type of dude you could see as, like, a potential three in your rotation. If it goes sale, possibly, um, you know, Erod or Evaldi, depending on who's healthy, who's not on the team. And then you have Hauk there because I think he goes from fifth to third in the rotation. I don't think he can get jumped to the two spot unless like major changes happen. But I mean, they're going to break him in nice and easy. And it's it's not completely insane or out of this world to expect this guy in the rotation in at worst the four spot next year. And against the Yankees, you're doing it in high, high pressure, um, not necessarily that game, but high pressure teams in enemy territory and you're doing that well i will take that every day that ends in y and twice on whichever day you pitch which wasn't today but i don't care uh two games ago so that would have made it friday i'll I'll take it i don't care guys a stud yeah so this was kind of before like the two days of disaster uh in this series but i looked at this as kind of the red sox flexing on the yankees a little bit because you know it's like we've got garrett whitlock who the Yankees gave up on, who's been awesome for the Red Sox. And we showcase him all the time. He's been great. Um, You know, the day after you had Nathan Avaldi, who pitched really well, like I just said, another guy that the Yankees had in their rotation. And they were like, eh, we can do better. Um, And now we had Tanner Houck come out on Friday. And it was almost like the Red Sox being like, yeah, we have arms in our farm system that we can bring up and, we can stash them at the end of the bullpen. They can come out and pitch three innings and shut you down. Um, every Yankees pitching prospect that's come up has basically failed from Severino to Herman to God knows who next. Like their pitching prospects don't make it. Their pitching program blows, quite frankly. Like they they misidentify guys who they think are gonna be stars, and then they look at guys like Whitlock and Ivaldi and everyone else and they go, ah, oh, these guys aren't worth it. And they get rid of them. So this was kind of awesome to see how come in pitch three innings, close out that game. Um, and it, it was, that was like the good part of the weekend. It was like, okay, here we go. You know, you had a game canceled on Thursday because of the Yankees can't get their heads out of their asses with their COVID issues. And you go in, Eddie Rodriguez shuts them down, which was great for him to start with. But then you got Tanner Howe coming in at the end of the bullpen, like one of our young arms coming in and shutting that lineup down. It's just almost like, I don't know. I, I just liked it as a flex against the Yankees. It's like, yeah, we've got a pitching program. You don't. So have fun with that. Keep acquiring more bats. Like, again, this stupid team, they're going to go get Joey Gallo at the deadline. They're going to. And they're going to trade a top pitching prospect to do it because they're the stupid Yankees, and this is what they do. So, um the Tanner Houck outing was just further proof to me that like the, the Red Sox do have a plan here. Like, like Charlie said, Tanner Houck will be in this rotation next year. He's going to be like, th- this is the, you're seeing the future right now. It's Tanner Houck. It's Garrett Whitlock. Chris sales making his way back. 
And then from there, you can fill in the missing pieces from whether they re-signed Eduardo Rodriguez, whether they re-signed Nathan Avaldi. I don't think that's out of the question now. Uh, Pavetta, or you know, if they if they pick up Martin Perez's option, like the Red Sox pitching rotation is looking good for the future. Can't really say that about the Yankees. So I love the Hauk outing. I thought it was just another great way of showing, like, hey, we've got it figured out. You guys don't. So have fun with your two out of three victory this series that you kind of stole from us. Um, we still got the better future. Have fun. Start the propaganda for putting him right in the rotation, I think. I think his next outing will be a start, if I'm not mistaken. Core is going to go bullpen, start, bullpen, start. So we're already seeing confirmed. it. That's yes. confirmed. Absolutely. And so he's at least a middle-of-the-rotation guy, and he might be a top-of-the-rotation guy. He does, His fastball isn't overpowering, but it's solid. And his slider's nasty, and... He's gonna he's gonna be a mainstay in the Red Sox rotation for a number of years. In parts of two seasons, he made three starts late last year. He's been up and down, had an elbow issue, which has apparently been resolved. But in just over thirty innings, one seven nine ERA. One seven nine ERA. And the thing I love about him the most, the dude's got swagger. Much like Nathan Avaldi, much like Erod, he can pitch in a hostile environment. It doesn't matter where this guy pitches. He loves it. He thrives on it. And that's why the trade deadline is going to be so interesting. Because sales taking someone's job, and we can debate all day long whether that's going to be Perez, whether it's going to be Garrett Richards, we don't know. We don't know, and they've got they've each got at least one or two more starts, probably two more starts apiece to resolve that. But I think Houck's going to be taking someone's job as well. And you look at a possible, you only need four starters for the postseason because of all the built-in off days. So, I mean, you, you got Chris Sale, Nathan Avaldi. Eduardo Rodriguez, if my trade theory doesn't come to fruition, which admittedly, it's probably less than 50%, and you guys might say even far less than that, but you got Nick Pavetta, you got, it's just, we got so many options, especially if you put Tanner Houck in, into the mix for a postseason start, and if it's a high-pressure start, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with seeing Tanner Houck in, in, in any type of situation. I get so excited about him. And he keeps getting called the right-handed Chris Sale because of the delivery, similar delivery, nasty slider. He doesn't quite have sales velocity, but Sale might not have sales velocity coming up. And he, he might not even need it anyway. But if Charlie didn't pick Tanner Houck as his stud, I was going to, so... Very impressive. Three clean innings, three three strikeouts. My stud for the series, another guy who continues to own the Yankees, another guy who continues to put up great numbers in Yankee Stadium, Eduardo Rodriguez, got the what ended up being the first game of the series. 5.2 innings pitch, five and two-thirds, 
only gave up two hits, and it was a one-hitter until that final inning uh, when he gave up another hit. I think that was to DJ LeMahieu. But no earned runs, walked two, struck out eight, which is par for the course for him. Mixing his pitches very well and seems to be in a groove. So if the Red Sox keep him, he's going to be very stout going down the stretch as we hopefully <laughs> hopefully cruise into the month of October. But pitching was the story this whole this whole rotation this whole uh, series. So Jason, thoughts on Erod? Yeah, uh, very impressive for a guy that I. By this point in the season, I think I had him penciled in for an IL stint because the way it was going early on, I thought there's no way he's not holding up. He's, you know, especially like the month of May, he, he started to regress a little bit. He had a couple of bad starts in a row. I thought, oh, here we go. Here we go. Here comes Eduardo Rodriguez just kind of breaking down. He's going to need an IL stint. He needs some time off, but he's really pitched well the last couple of weeks. He, he looks great. Um, he, he, he looks so much better than he did the start of the year. And it's funny that his ERA is still over five. Like that's, that's how bad he was to start of the year because his last few starts, he's barely given up any runs and the ERA is still hovering over five. So, um, I agree with you. I think he's a big game pitcher. I think he's the kind of guy that he likes going into these enemy territories and kind of like Evaldi, he just, you know, he picks up his performance a little bit when he's pitching against the Yankees and, He's pitching in these big games. So um, it's a great sign. It, you know, again, any step forward for Eduardo Rodriguez, I'll take. Because I, quite frankly, I wasn't sure what the hell we were going to get out of him this year after everything that he went through. Um, and then to see what the struggles he went through at some point early in the season, I thought, I don't know. I'm not sure he's going to last. But lately, he's been great. And like you mentioned, with Chris Sale kind of on his way, we keep thinking about, okay, who's going to get – their spot taken in the rotation, it's not going to be Eduardo. He, he's he's going to stay in there. It's probably going to be Garrett Richards, thank God. Um, but it won't be Eddie Rodriguez. He's going to stay in there. Um, he's just pitching too well right now. And I think that he notices. He knows that, okay, Hauk just got called up, sales on his way. He's looking at his spot going, okay, I've got to perform now. Like, it, it's time. Like, I, I've got to step it up. I've got to get in there and, and do what I can do. So, if that's his mentality, if he's pitching for his job and this is the way he performs, fine. I'm all for it because that's what this team needs. So he was great. Hopefully he keeps it up. Um, like I said, just keep taking steps forward. That's all we're asking for. So I've said this once before. In the month of April and June, the team didn't lose a game that he started. He went 5-0 and in nine appearances, and there were a couple games where he probably should not have gotten a win or a no decision. He probably should have gotten the loss. Um, there were a couple times in the month of June where he got absolutely rocked. A couple times in the month of um, of, of May where he got absolutely shelled, and he, he ended up losing four in a row. But two of his last three starts have been stellar to the point where you're almost like, well, what changed? Is there just, have you found God? Have you changed something in your delivery? Is there a little extra rosin in the rosin? Uh, I don't know. But it's just kind of curious that, you know, pitchers are starting to kind of find themselves like Garrett Cole striking out 11. Just kind of a surprise. Um, either way, it's still really nice to see because, like you, I also did not think he would be lasting this long. And I thought during the struggles in May, I was like, 
I think somebody might be done in 2021 because I think myocarditis is starting to bite him again. And I'm yet again wrong. So it's like the anti-2020 year where I find myself saying, shoot, damn, I didn't get that one right. And that's okay because I'm wrong and we're doing great. So I still win. And so do we. Um, it was inches away from a quality start. And that's his second out of second out of his last three where he didn't allow a run, uh, earned or otherwise. And I think we're starting to see it come back to fruition, like where where hopefully everything is starting to line up in the right direction because he got absolutely rocked in the month of May. Like, you're, you're right, Jason. If he didn't have a crappy kind of uh, late beginning, his ERA might be like low fours, upper threes, depending on how bad that seven could have uh, not actually been. Um, but instead of averaging four runs a start, he's averaging just over one a start. And you can definitely win if you get the offense for that. So I'm pumped. I'll, I'll take that every day. So, I mean, just keep this up. Let's let's keep riding the high because um, I'm praying we don't get any injuries. And I'm, I'm knocking on wood right now. Uh, and I hope that the team can stay healthy because we've seen a lot of other teams get bit by COVID, uh, flexor strains, uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. So I'm, I'm happy that our team is staying, for the most part, intact. Alex Cora preached patience to him as he finally was starting to show signs of life after that brutal month of May. And he kept saying they were making small adjustments and don't worry, he's going to get there. He's he's starting to pitch well. And that's exactly what's happened. And he's got a lot of momentum and he's in a really good spot. And I don't worry about Rodriguez anymore when it's his turn to start. So... Loved what I saw there. Not much for honorable mentions outside of the guys we had in our studs. I will say Martin Perez, even though he was pulled after 62 pitches, uh, went four full. I'll at least say this for him. He didn't emotionally quit on himself. He has issues, apparently, with the second and third time through the order. Cora doesn't seem to have the confidence. That's been a theme of this season for him, but kept us kept us in it while he was in there. So, you know, good job on him for, for that. As far as the lineup goes, and we're going to be getting into a lot of this in the second half here in the dud section, but... Christian Arroyo was the only guy with three hits. Everybody else in the order literally had one or two hits the whole series. And Arroyo had a big two-run shot in game one. Drove in a run in game two. So of the six runs that were scored this whole series, three of them were because of Arroyo. And then tonight, he goes out. With an injury, he gets a start at first base, which I was looking forward to. I was excited about that. And he did a Steve Pierce-style split to try to hold the bag and dig a ball out of the dirt that, that Bogarts. It was a tough play for Bogarts. He had to make the throw kind of running away from first. And it was, I think it was a safe call, wasn't it? I, I think the runner just beat him out. Yeah, the runner was safe. Yeah. yeah, and but Arroyo made a, a good snag at it, but apparently he's not as flexible as Steve Pierce and pulled his hamstring. And 
as the game was getting started, because he was having a good series coming into this, you guys know I'm a big Anthony Rizzo guy, but I'm like, geez, if this Arroyo thing works out, maybe we don't need Rizzo. But then he's, and Cora said after the game, I did see a quote, he does expect Arroyo to be going back on the injured list, which I think will be his fourth time this year. And it's been, it's been the theme of his career to go on the injured list. So I'm just going to say it right now. This might be unpopular with the audience. I am done with Christian Arroyo. I was just hoping we could get as much as we could this season out of him before some of those top prospects get called up. I don't trust this guy. I do not trust this guy to stay durable, to keep the Bobby Dahlbecks of the world off of first base, to keep the Michael Chavises out of first base. I am done with Christian Arroyo. I love the guy, but I hate his durability. I see. I view this as purely not Arroyo's fault. I, I tweeted it. I'm like, this is what you get. This is what you get. And, and we'll get into it. But this is what you get when you shoehorn your prospect into the outfield and you put Kike at second. And you go, oh, we need Arroyo's batting in, in the lineup. Let's turn a second baseman into a first baseman. That can only end well. I just and look, you're right. It's like his fourth time on the IL. The guy's made of plexiglass. He is. He's he's soft as baby poop. Okay, so he need, like that's obviously a weakness of his. But I don't necessarily put this on him. He was he was shoehorned into first base because you stuck with Bobby Dahlbeck for how many months now? And then you realize, oh, Bobby Dahlbeck can't hit. So let's put a second baseman at first. And oh, nothing can go wrong there. Oopsies. He has to stretch for a for a bad throw. Because Xander Bogarts doesn't exactly have great throws to first base. Oops, he had to stretch for one, and he probably ripped his groin in half. So, I don't know. I As much as I want a dog on Arroyo for being soft, I put this on the organization. It's like, you guys should have had a better plan than this. Well, tonight's was the organization's fault. But I'm at the point where it, it's coming no matter what. It, it's, it's coming, regardless of where he's playing. But Charlie uh, might might have some strong thoughts on this i almost immediately so i've I've been responding to people on twitter like the whole the whole show and i'm um there's like eight different conversations going on and i almost was like y'all can't believe what terry just said i was about to tweet that (laughs) because christian arroyo may be the only player in major league baseball that's living both the cinderella story and cinderella shoe story the man is made of glass and it sucks to see him getting hurt because he has been super clutch and it uh, it hurts to hear you say that because I mean the only good thing of that was that we were pumping up Michael Chavis and you know yeah I'm a big Chavis guy uh, I I'm just shocked to hear it I'm just shocked but I understand why and Jason's point the throw wasn't great and whatnot and as soon as he extended like that I was like ooh you should leave that play to the professionals. That didn't look good. And then moments later, yeah, we got to bring in Bobby D. And I was like, awesome. My second favorite Red Sox player, for those listening, not really. Uh, So I was none too pleased for two reasons. One, you're putting a position, and as Jason had tweeted earlier, this is why you don't make Christian Arroyo your first baseman. I I believe the tweet was, this is why you don't make a middle infield player play first base. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So that's what I saw. And I was like, crap. Let me look that let me look at that on instant replay again. And in slow motion, 
my groin hurt watching it play because I can't do that either. And I'm pretty flexible and athletic. That hurt me too. Like I immediately went right down. I was like, ouch. So I think they need to stop experimenting with what I like to call the Chicago Cubs method of fielding and like position play where you have your catcher play first base and left field and your first base play second base and third. And Jesus Christ, this is not like Goldilocks and this is this is too big this is too small this is just right play the positions you were here for we already have a bunch of um multiversal players we don't need a 16th one and unfortunately one of them is coming back and I'm just as equally upset about that too so uh, this could have been easily avoided he'll come back and then he'll go right back on the 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 injured list he's gonna play more games in Worcester this year than he is at Fenway I'm I'm being facetious, but it, it's the ratio isn't going to be that extreme though. Trust me. Uh, getting into the duds part, not that we didn't with Arroyo, but uh, go ahead, Jason. This is going to be good. Yeah, I I sort of thought I was going to be the biggest a hole of the program tonight because <laughs> with with my pick, but then Terry dumping on his boy Arroyo over there. Um, yeah, I'm here to crap all over the Jaron Duran hype train. So uh, keep riding that hype train all you want, but I'm here to derail it because I just, I, I, I said it at the time when he was called up for those who listened to that show, I was very much against it. I said, this is a stupid idea. You don't have to bring him up. There's no value to it. Um, Duran played only three or only two games in this series, actually. So even though Thursday's game got canceled, uh, Cora didn't have the confidence to put him in on Friday night against a left-hander, which is a little concerning to me for your top prospect that you have to protect him against left-handed pitching. Uh, and not a good left-handed pitcher, Jordan Montgomery. Like, Cora didn't have the confidence to put him in against Jordan Montgomery? Okay. But he's your top prospect. Fine. Okay, sure. Um, Duran went one for six in his two games. Um really didn't produce much offensively really didn't provide any sort of spark and i'm sorry but like i just again i don't see the point of this you're gonna like this i said it at the time when they called him up this is a move of desperation this is what you do when you're in fourth place or you're struggling to get fans in the seat in in the seats like you call up your top prospect that's what the rays are doing because glasnow went on the il and they're desperate to get any sort of offensive spark. They're desperate to keep their fans engaged. So they called up Wander Franco. And when Duran got called up, all you idiot Red Sox fans said, oh, well, see, this is the response to Wander Franco. And I told you at the time, and it's still true, Jaron Duran is not Wander Franco. Wander Franco has been the number one prospect in baseball, not just for the Rays, but in baseball for the last, like, two to three years. Jaron Duran just sort of became the Red Sox top prospect like this year. Okay. It, it's, it's been a long time coming. So his defense is still a question and his bat is clearly still a question because again, Cora doesn't trust him against left-handed pitching. So what this guy's only going to get in there against right-handed pitching. Okay. I, I just, I'm not a fan of it. He, he didn't provide any offensive spark this, this series. Which, you know, again, like I know it's only three games. Or, well, for him, only two. It should have been three. But still, like, I don't see the point of this. This isn't going to help you. This is not going to help the Red Sox win the division. This is not going to help the Red Sox win the World Series. It's just, 
it's it to me it feels like a marketing ploy it feels like just a thing that they want to do to oh let's tweet about here comes jaron duran he's he's got his at bat against garrett cole or he's got his back against whoever let's all tune in like that's all it feels like to me and and again you started the clock on this kid for what like i just i don't get it feels pointless to me it's not going to help them do anything not a fan i send him back down let him let him progress let him refine what he needs to refine. Call him up next year. Let's not do this now. Terry, it looks like someone just stole your candy bar. You look so disappointed. <laughs> I think it's because he goes, he goes, we're talking on the phone and in my, I'm going to try to do Terry's voice. Uh, my impression of Terry. Just be very I, monotone I, and nasally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how you do my voice. I think Jaron Duran will get called up after the all-star break. <laughs> and I was like, Terry, you're an idiot. Like, no, it's not happening. And I've been saying 2022, why don't you idiots listen to me? That's the third time I've been wrong, at least openly admitted it on the show with three different topics. It was cute. He got one pitch. He got a single off of Garrett Cole. And I was like, holy crap, he got a single. And then he got over to second base on what we thought was going to be a uh, you know, another hit and it didn't work out. And then he gets driven in by Terry's used to be favorite player, Christian Arroyo. And then we're up one, nothing. And I was like, wow, that was cute. That moment was so special. And, and yes. And I literally told my dad, I was watching the game with him. I said, I bet he's going to strike out probably through the next five at bats. He literally strikes out half. He's going to strike out half the time. Kind of like Bobby D and in one for seven or one for six, excuse me, he struck out three times. So it wasn't wrong. Um, it was awesome to see the hit in his first major league at bat. That was super awesome, super special. But starting the clock on him, just what Jason said, I found it to be pointless, stupid. There's just no need for it. Um, you have other options right now, albeit stupid ones. I, I just didn't see the point in starting the clock on him. I mean, you had time. It wasn't like, oh, we desperately need to call Jaron Duran right now. It, it, there was no need for it. It was I, I, I agree with Jason. It was a marketing thing. Like, you're bringing up a young kid. We've done that to enough guys. We brought up Tanner Houck. They brought up Jaron Duran. It's going to be like, all right, cool. Who else can we bring up? I mean, there just wasn't a need for it. It was cool, but just what he, what Jason said, he's going to end up getting sent down. He's going to have like a Jared Kalanick's kind of spout where he'll go like three for 37. They're going to send him down. He might get discouraged. And then he'll do great AAA. And then he'll come back up. But I hope not in 2021. There's just no need. When I tell the audience that this is not a Homer podcast, we're literally the only one that poops on Jaron Duran. Everybody's celebrating it like uh, he's the next coming. And again, this this isn't a hill that I can really die on. I didn't hate the call up. I still don't really hate the call up. He did only have one hit the whole series. He was one for eight off of Garrett Cole. The ball was was kind of down and in, and he, he found a way to – it was a soft liner into the gap, got on base, ended up coming home, scored the only run, showed off his wheels, which were – he's faster than Mookie, not quite as fast as Ellsbury, but pretty darn fast. I don't think – he had some loud outs tonight deep towards the wall, not quite to the warning track, but – you know, put some, uh, you know, put some mustard on it. At-bats weren't terrible, but here's the unfortunate thing. If he had a good series, suddenly 
Kike Hernandez being one for eleven. Okay, the pressure's on a little bit. This kid's this kid's making us look bad. Alex Verdugo one for eleven. Same thing. Got to get it going. And Hunter Renfro two for ten on the series has had a pretty quiet month of July after an explosive month of June has kind of come back down to earth. We're worried about Duran mostly because of his defense. That's been the one area of concern, and he wasn't super busy in center field, but he didn't look terrible. You know, he made he made some plays out there. So this offense needs a spark, and I don't really see it coming from this outfield. I really don't. I really don't, and maybe Durant, maybe Durant isn't the answer, but you got to try something. You got to try something. And we'll get a better look at him in the Toronto series against not so great pitching. Not that we've been hitting not so great pitching. Who's that one starter? Andrew Heaney in the uh, Angel series. We should have absolutely thumped that guy. He shut us down for five innings. I'm kind of convinced that Domingo Herman, who we've knocked around quite a bit over the last couple of years, I bet he might have shut us down. It's just crazy. But those are my thoughts on Duran. I'm just being realistic. Did he blow us away? No. Am I super concerned at the same time? Not really. There, maybe, maybe the move at the deadline will be an outfielder at this point. So I, I, I have no idea. But we need to get a look at him now. I mean, the clock started anyway, so we may as well take as long of a look going into the deadline as we can. Charlie, who's your yes. who's your dud with an S in parentheses at the end of it for this series? Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I really do. Um, earlier this year, I had a dud that wasn't necessarily a player on the team. It ended up being the opposing team's closer, and I nominated Dolis, who every single time he pitched, the Red Sox won, and it was wonderful. It was like, a, we don't care about today. We're going to give you the win. This week's uh, episode of Dumb, excuse me, Dud of my series, I'm actually giving it to the dumbass who threw the baseball from left field and hit Alex Verdugo in the back when he wasn't paying attention. You are a coward. You are a pathetic excuse for a human being. You are scum. You are filth. You literally assaulted a baseball player. And for those that are comparing Giancarlo Stanton getting hit by a ball that bounced and hit him from the top of the green monster, you are grossly, grossly over-exaggerating the two situations. Alex Verdugo threw the ball and was playing catch with a fan. A Yankees fan ended up sniping the ball and taking it from that child. He then was heckled by multiple Yankees fans to throw the back on, throw the ball back onto the field. He did not oblige at first and then somehow played the best version of Battleship that he's ever seen and managed to hit the one person standing remotely close to throwing the ball. So I don't believe for a second that that was an accident you don't accidentally have pinpoint aim and hit someone almost in the dome when their back is facing you you are a pathetic excuse of a human being and truth be told if you ever thought about doing that 
in another stadium in their house, you'd be learning to eat with your feet. And I say that lightly because in certain countries, when you do that in, the, in someone else's house, in other sports, you're probably not going home that day. You're probably not going home. So I'm super impressed because I posted this on Twitter. I said, uh, you know, how, how I'm waiting for some judgment. I'm waiting for some serious, um, I'm waiting for a resolution to this. And someone said, well, you're a little late. And, and we ended up going back and forth. We, we, we exchanged uh, messages back and forth. And I said, yeah, but how do you enforce that? If you wear a hat, how are you going to know? Is there a list of faces? Like, mm, nope, sorry, you're not welcome here. How are they going to enforce it? I don't think, and, and this is something else, because Catherine Veritek, the, 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 the wife of Jason Veritek, had uh, brought her baby in in a Red Sox onesie or was wearing a Red Sox jersey, and some dipshit fan spit on a child. That's disgusting behavior. That's just disgusting with everything going around in 2020 and 2021, use some common effing sense, dude. Really? You're lucky you didn't get jumped by your own fans. There were videos at Fenway Park where Yankee fans were teeing off on Yankee fans. I can only imagine what was actually being said or done or whatever, but it's just a bunch of like 18, 21-year-old dumbasses, idiots, that think that they've been around for a long time and think that they're big and bad. It, it's just pathetic there's no place for it in the game. You can say you're remorseful and I'm sorry and this, that, and the other. Do what I did. You go to an opposing fan stadium. You catch a foul ball. You catch a home run. Find the smallest kid you can find and give him that ball. Because I guarantee you that ball will mean a lot more to that fan than it ever will to you, regardless on, on, on who hit it. And that's what I did when I went to Angel Stadium. I turned around and gave the ball to a 10-year-old Angels fan. I said, remember this moment. When you get older, you do the same thing if you ever catch a foul ball or home run. Because for that 10-year-old that you give the ball to, it's going to mean the world to them. That person that did that doesn't have a pair of stones. You are a coward. And I hope you are banned from every sporting event for the rest of your life. You're lucky you don't go to jail for assault. I'm done. Yeah, there's really nothing much else to say other than uh, congratulations to... New York Yankees fans, you once again proved you are the worst fan base in all sports. Um, not just in baseball, all of sports. I can't think of another fan base that I would rather not be around than New York Yankees fans. Um, whether it's them screaming 27 rings in your face or whether it's them buying home jerseys with names on the back because they don't actually understand the history of their franchise or the sport. Um, or if it's incidents like this past weekend where they're throwing baseballs at Alex Verdugo. And if you watch the video of the kid who threw it, the guy who was actually next to him after he threw it, he's sitting down while, while Alex Verdugo is kind of like searching for whoever tried to nail him in the head. He's sitting down while everyone else is standing up because he's trying to hide. And it's like his leg is shaking and he's nervous because he knows he did something wrong. He knows he acted like an ass clown. But – it's a lot harder when you actually get called out on it and you actually get caught. And he did get caught, thankfully. They they escorted his stupid ass out of the stadium. I imagine he's banned for life. And I do want to give credit to Aaron Boone, who we give a lot of flack to on this show, and rightfully so, because he should have been fired last season. He should have been fired months ago. But 
he said after that game, he said, that's embarrassing. That's a joke. That guy should be in jail. Like, he stood up for Alex Verdugo, and he stood up for Alex Cora. And Alex Cora did the right thing when he went onto the, onto the field and he said, all my players get off the field because if Yankee fans are going to start throwing stuff at us, we're not playing. We're not doing this. We're not going to sit on this field and let Yankee fans just throw whatever they want at us. Good for Alex Cora and good for Aaron Boone for sticking by him. Um, it was just, it was such an embarrassing display by Yankees fans. And it's just a, it's a microcosm of how their season's going. They don't know what to do with themselves because again, they're Yankees fans. They're entitled. They've been told every season, your team's going to go to the world series. And they're watching this team this year, just go into a tailspin. Their manager is a joke. Their general manager is a joke. Their players are jokes. And they just don't know what to do with themselves. And they're losing control. And this is also just, you know, it's post-COVID. Fans are back in the stadiums for the first time in a long time. People don't remember how to act. They really don't. So it was embarrassing. It was a joke. I'm glad the guy got caught. I'm glad that he's going to get banned. Hopefully he's going to get banned from Yankee Stadium for the rest of his life. Um, I'm actually glad, like, this is one thing where I disagree with the internet because they're like, oh, don't don't post pictures of the guy. Like, we don't need to go that far. We need to ruin his life. No, go ahead. I have no problem. You want to post pictures of the guy? Go ahead. I want his picture all over Twitter. I want everyone to know who this guy is because that's just, you don't do that. I'm sorry. It's, it's embarrassing. It was a joke. Um, I just, I'm glad Verdugo didn't get hurt. Uh, and I'm glad the guy got caught because that was such a joke. I gave I gave Boone a lot of crap because of just everything that's happened this year. Sorry, T. I'll, I'll be super fast. Uh, he actually said uh, that that person that did that should be in jail, and I and I stand by that. And I think that's impressive for the other manager to be that forefront and and actually show that kind of fire and passion. They were saying that Verdugo at one point almost got. I think some people on Twitter thought he got ejected, and then he got unejected, but he actually never got ejected in the first place. It was umpires that allegedly were telling Alex Cora and, and Verdugo, guys, guys, no, you have to keep playing. As an umpire, your number one priority should be ensuring the safety of your players that are on the field or the players that are on the field, the fans that are in the stands. When one of your fans starts misbehaving and start acting like a complete jag-off, you need to start doing something instead of just pointing fingers and be like, nah, somebody up there did something stupid. So uh, I'm also kind of putting the umpires in left field in the dud section for just being stupid and not really having full, I think, common sense and, and clarity around the situation. You have a player that is very calm and level-headed 98 point, actually 106% of the time. Sometimes he's too level-headed. And then you see a guy who literally, it's like you someone stole his, his guinea pig. He just went off. And it wasn't even close. I've never seen Alex Verdugo that fired up. I've never seen him so upset. And there's some idiot on Twitter that said, well, Verdugo should have gotten ejected for using language. Yeah, foul language, assault totally the same thing it's like throwing up the middle finger spitting on a baby same thing you're an idiot you're a clown and if you think that those two are the same stupid people shouldn't have free speech and you're in that category aaron boone went up to alex cora and basically apologized on behalf of everyone and you know just to kind of give his support 
I thought that was a good gesture. And like Jason said, Alex Cora went out onto the field and there was a moment where he was lighting into one of the umpires, just absolutely lighting into him to the point where in any other circumstance, he's getting ejected. But the umpire was like, and I kind of felt bad for the umpire. He's like, what they're working on it. What, what more can I do? You know? So, and they seemed to figure it out. The fan was out of there within a minute or two and banned for life. I think that's a joke. They might be looking out for him for maybe a month. And if he wears a hat, if he wears sunglasses, if he grows a beard, going to be very tough. Some turnstile stadium employee that's checking tickets, making 12, 14 bucks an hour. They're not looking for this guy. So that's a bit of a joke. The Red Sox have done that in the uh, infamous Adam Jones incident. That fan was banned for life for dropping the N-word, which rightfully so. But the biggest thing I had a problem with was the Veritech incident where the fans spit on his kid. And I think it was one of his daughter's. Now you can you can debate whether the the fan meant to hit Verdugo with the ball. I unquestionably believe the fan hit Verdugo intentionally, but you can debate it whether it was accidental or whatnot. You can't debate anything. Spitting on a child, <laughs> there's no debate. That is the most vile thing anybody could do. Anybody could do. And the thing that drives me nuts about Yankees fans, I don't react to it much on social media, but they love to generalize all of New England from the tip of Connecticut to the northern tip of Maine. They love to generalize us all as racists for a few unfortunate incidents that were very isolated with a very tiny, small, minute part of our population and yet they go act like this it's just it's sickening and they haven't made it to a world series in almost 12 years now if the brian cashman era continues into the next several years they're not going to go to one this year either and they're doing just good enough right now just good enough to justify not selling, making some acquisitions, and making their farm system worse in the next week and a half. So their their forecast is pretty cloudy looking and just absolutely disgusting to see. Absolutely disgusting to and, see. And and one one thing I'd like to point out is so a lot of Yankee fans on Twitter were actually, I was surprised. They were very much like, this is unacceptable. You know, we don't condone, like, usually Yankee fans on Twitter are like, oh, this is overblown. You guys, are, you know, no, for the most part, they were they were with Aaron Boone. They're like, no, this is embarrassing. We can't have this. And what you pointed out about the whole, like, them generalizing New Englanders as, like, racists or whatever, let's not forget that early, I think it was earlier this season, Yankee fans were chanting at Teoscar Hernandez of the Blue Jays, where's your green card while he was out in right field. <laughs> I didn't hear that. So if Yankees fans want to play that card, uh, let's not pretend like you guys haven't done exactly the same crap. So 
they're no different. They've they've done that same kind of crap too. I they, I can't say any. You guys know where I stand politically. I don't get into it on the podcast, but I can't stand any single thing about New York. But uh, kind of the segue into my dud as we approach the hour mark. Mine is Alex Verdugo, and I like to see him fired up yesterday. I thought it was good, and ESPN put the microphone on him tonight to capture some in-game audio, and he gave you some some funny moments. But in an incident that should have fired him up and should have sent him into tonight's game, you know, with a little bit of urgency, a little bit of fire. He was 0 for 4 tonight in this final game of the series with three strikeouts, 1 for 11 on the series. In the last four series, he's 10 for 55. That might be the last five series, actually. But either way, he is 10 for his last 55, less than 200. He's been a disappointment this year. He's been an absolute disappointment. He hit north of 300 last year. He had a shortened 2019 season because of the back injury, but was still over 300. This this guy has the potential, at least coming into this year, to be a perennial all-star if he's healthy. And he he hasn't shown it, and I'm not seeing the urgency. I'm really not, and you're not seeing it from any of the outfield right now. And I'm not going to get on Renfro because he's still playing better than what I thought he would be playing. But as the Red Sox come into this trade deadline, I want Hein Bloom to send a message. I want him to send a message. And you look at some of the guys who, who haven't been performing well, I hope he trades a guy that's going to that's gonna sting the rest of his teammates. And I want them to be thinking, well, you know, if I don't get it together, maybe I'm the next to get traded this winter. I want a message to be sent. I don't know if that's trading Christian Vasquez. I don't know if that's uh, trading perhaps Verdugo. I, that would be kind of a, a, a bigger stunner to me. I, I don't think Kike is getting traded. As much as I'm done with Arroyo, maybe he gets traded, and I think the fan base would be a little upset with that. But I want Bloom to to send a message here. And getting back to Verdugo, I'm fully convinced he's got, I think, two or three years left of control beyond 2021. He's a short-term guy. He's not a guy that's durable that the Red Sox are going to invest long-term in. I don't see Bloom keeping him around much longer than than the remaining years left on, on his rookie deal. And, and he'll probably be traded before that because Bloom will probably want to net a prospect out of it. So I hope there's, there's a minor shakeup here because these guys are asleep at the wheel and it's unfair to continually lean on Martinez, Bogart's endeavors Every series, they shouldn't have to pull the weight every time. Yeah, um, not a great weekend for our respective MVP picks. Uh, <laughs> mine, mine just couldn't help himself from getting COVID and you know getting put on the COVID IL, and yours is now hitting two seventy two. 
Um, yeah, not a good weekend for Verdugo. And he has kind of just been quiet for a long time now. And I think at the start of the year, he was performing pretty well. And we all kind of laughed and joked because he was hitting better than Mookie was. And Mookie was down in the 250s. And we're like, oh, ha, see, we're, we're doing fine. Verdugo's doing his job and Mookie's slumping. Mookie's up to 271 now. He's starting to wake up a little bit. He's starting to play a little bit better. And Verdugo's kind of going the other way. Um, he's too quiet. It, like A guy like him, it, it's he doesn't have to be your best hitter. But I look at Verdugo, and the word that comes to mind is spark plug. Like he's the guy that gets the offense rolling. He gets the whole team going. When he when Verdugo is playing well, the rest of the team elevates. And this series, I think, really showed it. Verdugo was in a slump. He went through the drama in left field, and he went. Would you say one for eleven? Like struck out three times today. The rest of the offense just kind of went quiet because they look at a guy like Verdugo, who's again, I think, an emotional leader in that locker room for better or for worse, but he is an emotional leader. He's a guy that they kind of, they look to and he's been slumping. And therefore I think the offense is slumping. So it's, it's tough. Like he's got to get it going because again, he doesn't have to be an MVP candidate. He doesn't have to be your best hitter. He just has to be playing well enough where he's got the energy. He's got the team going. He's in a good mood. He's got a smile on his face and the offense is churning along and they were winning games because when they lose two out of three and he goes through drama like that and he's, you know, he's fired up for the wrong reasons to, to say, then that's when the offense struggles. So that's what worries me about Verdugo is that he's very hot and cold. He's either really hot and he's making great plays and he's having great at bats or he's super cold and you just don't even notice that he's in the lineup, even though he's hitting leadoff and um, that's not good enough. So hopefully he wakes up. Hopefully he just kind of had a bad series in New York. He shakes it off and he gets it going here because that's what this team needs big time. It's time. That's a little ode to Jason. Cause I know he watches a lot of UFC. Um, Terry, Jason kind of took my thunder, but I just figured I should say, all right, guys, I've admitted that I've been wrong three times. I wasn't wrong about my MVP pick technically on the last minute and a half. I'm waiting for Terry to say I was wrong on it. It hasn't happened yet. It's okay, kids. Don't worry. It could happen maybe this episode, maybe the next one. But um, it's tough when you go one for 11. I think part of it was a little bit of mind games. I think he's a little bit frustrated. I think he's a little uh, – I think he's in his head. I think he's in um, – He's a, a weird headspace right now because he is angry and he needs to be able to channel that because he's still a kid. One for 11 is not a pretty series. 0 for 4, three strikeouts. He started and ended the series as an 0 for, 4, 0 for 4 game. He only had one hit uh, and that was it. I'm not crazy scared. I also don't like the idea of trading Alex Verdugo. Not right now. You, you don't want to trade a kid who literally hasn't done anything wrong. He's had a, a couple of health things and whatnot. You know, the back isn't isn't acting great and whatnot. But let's not forget, this is supposed to be the centerpiece of the Mookie Betts deal. I mean, we already thought that we kind of got the, a, a crappy return on it. But this is supposed to be the headliner. Trading the headliner already, it's almost as if we're trying to trade away like a bunch of players similar to when we got rid of Carl Crawford, Josh Beckett, Adrian Gonzalez, Nick Punto, and we got James Loney and some other kid in garbage like that. 
what? I, I just, I don't like that idea of getting rid of Verdugo right away. I do support them shaking the team up. Getting rid of a player that's a fan favorite, though, could end up being a hindrance to the team, especially to Alex Cora, who's still, whether people want to admit it or not, is still trying to win over fans after what happened. So I don't think you're going to do yourself or your team a service by getting rid of a player like Verdugo. I just don't. Because he's been fun. The fans love him. He loves the fans. In moments where... The Red Sox are walking away. It's Alex Verdugo that you see taking photos and signing autographs and doing stuff for six, seven-year-old kids at the end of games. He's the one that you see. He's the one that you're actually excited to hear mic'd up. I'm not as excited to hear someone like J.D. Martinez mic'd up. Sure, it's cool, but Alex Verdugo mic'd up is interesting. It's fun because you don't know what he's going to say. He's It's still a kid playing, and kids still have fun when they play. It's not just a job. It's it's the game. You get paid to have fun. So I, I think that trading someone like Alex Verdugo, especially at a time like this, while theoretically you could like really shift the mindset of the team, I think it would bring morale down. So I don't like the idea of moving Verdugo, even though he had a one for 11, a bad series. I'm not going to deny that. But there's a reason why you picked him to be your MVP. You thought this could be his season. And who knows, maybe next year will be his season. No one thought Shohei Otani was going to do what he did this year. No one saw that crap coming, and it happened. It's still going on. He had a home run tonight, number 34. So, I, I don't know. I just I can't get rid of Verdugo. I just I can't do it. I can't do it. And I'm not saying that it's going to definitely be Verdugo. I, I, in fact, don't think it will be this time around. But uh, I, I just want to see a shakeup. I just want to see a shakeup happen. And so, you know, we'll see. Let's get into the Toronto series. We're kind of running late, so we'll just hopefully zip right through it. Uh, Nick Pavetta versus Ross Stripling. Stripling gave up four runs in his last outing against the Tampa Bay Rays. Only made it three and two-thirds. Pavetta, though, coming off a bad outing. Uh, we want to we wanna see him rein it in and pitch like he was the first couple of months of the season. Game two, Garrett Richards versus Alec Manoa. Manoa is one of Toronto's top prospects, has made a handful of starts. ERA 2.90. This is a bad matchup for Richards, I feel like. <laughs> and then uh, game three, we have Tanner Houck versus TBD. Somewhat favorable in that it's going to be a righty-heavy lineup for Houck, which is kind of his comfort zone but if Hauk wants to make a case for getting into that rotation this has a if Toronto's not a playoff team they do have a playoff caliber lineup so you want to see how he handles them so th thoughts on this series Jason yeah very important series um I'm glad that we have three right-handers going, and there's no more Rowdy Telez to worry about. So thank God for that. Um, that being said, I still see Toronto winning two out of three. Um, I don't like the Richards matchup at all. I don't like the Bavetta matchup either because he's kind of been going backwards a little bit. And Ross Stripling, we've talked about it before, like even in the show, like the Red Sox just seem to struggle against these kind of nobody pitchers. But they don't see a ton of it's Ross Stripling to me is just an average, you know, just 
kind of your average Joe pitcher. And I can see the Red Sox offense just doing nothing against him. Um, and quite, quite frankly, like that's why I have them losing two out of three. It's not so much the pitching. It's the Red Sox offense looks asleep right now. So unless they wake up and unless they just start mashing like they were in the first half, um, I think it's going to be a low scoring series and they're going to get out pitched the first two games. And it's going to come down to Tanner Houck having to just, you know, really deliver a big performance. And like you said, it's a big performance for him. He wants to prove he belongs in the rotation. So hopefully he, he gets that win. We don't know who he's facing yet, but um, I just, right now it's, I don't trust the Red Sox offense at all. So um, I, I see them losing two out of three. I hate to say it, but yeah. So I think game two is an automatic for those that can't see my face and you can't see my hands. I'm saying it's an automatic L you should just assume that if Garrett Richards is pitching because it's Garrett Richards. The third game, I actually have Tanner Houck, and it appears to be Robbie Ray. So if it's Ray against Tanner Houck, I still like Tanner Houck. I I really do. And it's ultimately coming down to how Nick Pavetta does. Because if Nick Pavetta can continue to do what Pavetta's been doing, uh, where he's been pitching better, then okay, cool. Two of his last four performances, he's allowed zero runs. He went seven innings, struck out 10 against Oakland. When six and two thirds didn't allow a hit against Tampa Bay. And those are two really good teams. Toronto is a good team. I think that the Red Sox have the chance to win two out of three. Now, I'm three for three on my last series calls, and people have given me crap for it. Oh, you're not being positive. You're not being realistic, blah, blah, blah. I think if Pavetta can do it again because he's kind of had the Josh Beckett effect one good one, one bad one, one good one, one bad one. This is supposed to be the good one. So I think the Red Sox will win two out of three, and they will sandwich the series. A win followed by a loss followed by a win. That's my take on it. And like I pointed out in the open, we seem to win that first game of the series, so maybe the magic continues. But like Jason said, that game comes down to which offense can tune up the other pitcher worse, and (laughs) Toronto does have the more potent offense, so... I'll be pleasantly surprised if if Pavetta wins that, but but if you can get the series one to one to Tanner Houck, then maybe we can finally win a series after dropping three in a row. But we have another episode of Totally Legit or Calling the Cops. That's super popular. Everybody enjoys that. That'll be released twenty four hours after this one. Then Andrew, Job, and myself will be back on Wednesday night to discuss that series. Or am I wrong? Yes, Wednesday night to discuss it. Oh, actually, Charlie's coming off the bench. I forgot that for, uh, I think, Job. Job's going to Cancun in July. I mean, great place to go in July. (laughs) Not somebody's gonna somebody be traveling. That's but a, I'm happy to step that's in. That's a January SOB. In July though, come on. I mean that you go well, there in yeah. January. But Jason <laughs> hates summer anyway, so I I don't know. I do. Yeah. Jason would like to vacation at, at the North Pole, I would think. Uh seems like the perfect climate for me. Yeah. In the Yukon territory of um Canada, perhaps. But anyway, so Charlie, Andrew, myself, that could be a fun show. 
because we're like the we play the most patty cakes in the war room let's let's put it that way the three of us there's usually some combination of patty cakes going on uh so we will get into it on thursday everybody take care